So what I, what I wanted to do today before we press on into, into new ground, I wanted to like give this, we had the review two weeks ago. You want tea? Uh, hmm? you want tea? Nah, that's all right. So questions, everything we've covered. What do you got? What are you thinking? What are the thinky thoughts? Thinky thoughts? What are the thinky thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, money. Money. <laughs> I'm only thinking. Yes. About money. Okay. You said I think in the first class, like if you don't understand what love looks like in this, like in this world and like in the after world, like you won't understand love. But you do in this world, when you get there, you'll uh, you'll get it. So that I, sounds intimidating. I said that. <laughs> yeah, you did. You yes. really did. I really, I really did. Quotes. Yeah. Scare quotes. Okay. Yeah. So um. What if someone, so let's say someone really doesn't, um, like, appreciate God's love in this world, never sees it, uh, hates it. When they get up to Shemayim, they won't feel it, they won't see it, even if they feel it in this world, God won't show them. Here's a bit different. There's two parts to that question. One part is the Chalakon Olam Haba part. To be able to have a chilekol you have to more or less buy into the 13 principles of faith. My other class I teach. Um, you guys have looked those up? Ram bombs, you to give them a Okay. Um, that's like the base standard for chilekol Haba stuff. That like, that's the starting position that enables a person to do the love research. It's called the three... I mean, the, the 13 principles of faith, yeah. So that's, that's number one. So uh, it, you, can, you can totally you know, have been able to sort that one out and still feel pretty bitter towards God. Um, the second part, um, that's a tough one. That's just a tough one. Um, reminds me of a... Reminds me of a client I have where what she's suffering is she has obsessive-compulsive disorder. And she, it's really hard to treat, first of all, because basically what the problem is, if you kind of imagine, if you imagine this is a human experience of life, people who are suffering from OCD are down here, meaning they are focusing on or experiencing a very, very small portion of what can be experienced in life. If you want to more or less have mental health, you want to be up here. You want to have the broadest experience of life you can. That sounds good, but that means you have to be willing to experience the pain along with the good stuff. You have to be willing to really, really think about bad and good simultaneously. And we are avoidance machines. We do not want to do that. That's what every person is. It's an avoidance machine. I'm an avoidance machine. You guys are avoidance machines. That's just the way we roll. And so someone like that is looking at life through a very, very small hole. And it's legitimate. I mean, it's not, not true that a person would be having those thoughts and feelings, that type of suffering. But the reason why it doesn't change is because there's, there's such a, a small focus on their experience that they're never able to find the solutions they need to leave that experience. 
that you have to be willing to feel the full gamut of problems as well as pleasures in life, to be able to, I almost kind of imagine it as a very long hall with doors on both sides. You know, and, and, and you know you know, these buildings where when you move forward, the lights turn on? So if you don't move forward, the lights will be off. You will not see these doors. These doors are the solutions to the problems that you can figure out. But if you're not willing to walk down that hall, you'll never even see that there are potential solutions to begin with. So someone like that, where all they're feeling is upset at God or how they've been betrayed, um, that's a very narrow... And again, it's not, I'm not saying it in a derogatory way, but it's not taking the full view of what life is. So they're never able to figure out the solutions to those legitimate problems they're experiencing. You have to walk down the hall. So those are two different things. Those are two different things. You can, you can live a life of suffering and still have a chelik and haba. It's just like, man, you wasted your life suffering. Why did you do that? Yeah. They're kind of like led there as opposed to them knowing any better. Nope. Like, how can they find it if they're continuously being led astray? I don't believe anybody is a victim. And I, that's sort of like being led astray. I always like, I have a thing in my gut that's like, Ugh! like, wait a second, it sounds too much like victim to me. Yeah. Um, but it's also true. Like, we actually are victims. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. Like, it, like life, life's hard. And so it's like, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's true. It's just like, you might be a victim right now, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow you have to be. And I think that really, I think, gets into, like, personal agency. Like, I really do believe there's something you can always do. I mean, have you ever, you guys ever hear of the book, The Gulag Archipelago? Yeah, of course we read that one. Yeah, yeah, we read it last week. Um, Solzhenitsyn, Solzhenitsyn, he was a, a Russian, um, um, he, he, he was in World War II, he fought for Stalin, and because what was going on in white Russia at the time, everybody is a potential enemy of the state, he ended up in the Gulag Archipelago. They basically make the concentration camps look like a, like a, like a, like a gun. It was horrible. Um, and he, in that experience, uh, suffered tremendously. I, mean, I forget how many decades he was in Siberia. And so he wrote three books on his experiences of all the atrocities that he saw. So it's like anyone who could claim being a victim, he's that guy. You know, like nightmares, this book. And something that like really shook me reading it was he basically swore to himself that he wouldn't allow himself to ignore the role he played in the suffering he was receiving. It's like he wasn't guilty. He wasn't at fault. He wasn't a bad guy. And like Stalin is the biggest, most horrible person who have ever lived. I mean, you can make a fair argument, you know, like, He's that guy. So it's like for him to be able to step back and say, nevertheless, nev nevertheless, I have something to learn about how I made mistakes in my life. How did I end up here? Not how did they put me there. 
That's a very dramatic shift of how you look at your life. So it's like, yeah, we're victims. Like he was a victim, you know, but at the same time, you have it within you. If you're a living, breathing, thinking person to be able to look at your life in that way, where did I make missteps and how could I improve myself? That's always a door you can walk through. Now you have an interesting book to read. What's it called? I've heard the, of it. The Gulag, yeah, the Gulag Archipelago. The Gulag, it, the Gulag Archipelago. archipelago. Tell like, the librarian. We have to always have the mindset that no matter what happened to us, that we have to really, really look at how we found ourselves there. What did we do to get there? So, I mean, I know, like, this one, I always, I hate these, you know, it's like, you know, uh, you know, women who end up in horrible marriages, like, you don't wish that up on anybody, but it's like, they, they ended up there somehow, you know, like, they didn't see something, and that's not to say they're at fault, those are two very different statements, it's like, you didn't see something, you missed signs, and there's a reason why you missed it, you're not bad for missing it, we all miss things, like, that's not the point, it's like, you got there somehow. So figure out how you got there so you don't do it again. Protect yourself. Because no one's going to protect you. Like, basically. People can try to protect you. But like, at the end of the day, the, the buck stops with you guys. That's all. So I give you a bracha. You should get married and have a husband who wants to protect you. And that's great. And... You all deserve it, and that's wonderful. But just because you deserve it doesn't mean you're gonna get it. So, like, you gotta earn, you gotta earn it, you gotta earn it. But you will, but you will. And you, I think, you, like, knowing you guys, like, you're doing a great job. Just keep it up. That's all you gotta do. Just keep it up. Yeah. Okay. So remember how we were talking about ideology versus religion? Yeah. How do you know when you're making an actual balance of it? Because I feel like someone could try to make try to make it into such a balance that they end up making it into an ideology in a different way. Yeah. So how do you manage to balance that? This is this is a cool area of research. This is called intersectionality, where I'm going to steer it this way. This is a cool idea. Um, when when you when you look at who you are or like what how you what your identity is, let's say. Um, you know, you're white women. Well, you're not black men. So there's opposites in terms of, of, of ways of defining people. And they're not fair and they're not accurate. It's like there's, there's a thousand ways to look at yourself. So like the moment you fall into this trap of you're thinking things are either you're a woman or a man, although you are, it's like, okay, like, but that's not all you are. Like there's a lot of different identities you have. You're, you, know, these, these, uh, you know, these Russian dolls that are inside dolls? It's a good way of thinking of yourself. Like, there's lots of things about you. Um, so it's almost like in order to not fall into an ideology, you have to start figuring yourself out first. Like, you use yourself as a map. So it's like figuring out who you... I feel like there's many ways to figure yourself out. Yes. So make a list. Like, keep it going. Like, yeah, 100%. Like... You're, 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 you'll never reach the bottom, but if you can, if you can make your, if it, but just by knowing you're like this Russian doll and you're keeping track of it, 
There's a different ways of thinking of it also. Like um, you can look at yourself and try and define yourself based on your emotional states. Who are you when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're disgusted? And like really boil down, how do you act differently in those cases? Um, try and figure out another way of looking at your identity is the rules that you create for yourself, um, the story that you tell yourself, and then there's a final level where you're the thing that sees your rules and sees your story. It's almost like if you can like look at your life as a game of chess, and you have the white pieces and the black pieces. Like Those are the things that happen in your life. Those are the feelings and your stories and, and the rules that you create for yourself. So what are you? You're the board. If you can look at your life like you're the board, that's another way of looking at who you are. Um, Do you think you ever get to the point where you can figure yourself out? Like when you're done? Or no. Is it... That's the fun of it. Mm, so fun. Yeah. That's the fun of it, man. So, yeah, yeah. Just a so, so, like, to answer your question, is like you have to start with yourself first. You have to, like... Really, you have to, your project, this, this also happens to be, you're in luck, you're Jewish. It's like the, the one way of looking at halacha is, halacha is value judgments and meaning in the world and every object and every moment. And you are the medium by which you create and observe meaning. It's like there's a hand, there's a pencil, and there's what you write. You're the pencil. Meaning is what you write on the page. But like, that meaning will not get there without that pencil. Like, you're that pencil. So the more that you can figure yourself out, the more you'll be able to feel that question of being able to sense, okay, wait a second. I'm hearing from, you know, I gave the example uh, a couple weeks ago of, of uh, ecology. You know, like, you know, protect Mother Earth. That's a very simplistic way of looking at the world. Like, we have to make sure that we don't destroy the planet. It's like, that's half the story. The other half is Mother Nature trying to kill you. And Mother Nature is doing a really good job of trying to kill you. And both are true. It's like, you have to not destroy the planet, but don't let the planet destroy you. And those are... It's, it's like, you have to be able to see, but you're only going to be sensitive to the layers of meaning when you apply it to your own life. Because there's only one thing you can be sure of, is yourself. You know you. That's the only thing you can know for certain. And it's hard. It's going to be your entire life. That's the, your entire life's mission is to know you in this way. But the more clarity you get every day, the more you're going to be able to then take that tool of being sensitive to layers of meaning and get it when someone else is trying to sell you a bag of goods or figuring out the deeper meaning around you, but it starts with you. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> okay. Was that a good answer? It was. But it was like a, a very annoying. It's now. a lot of work to do now. I was like, oh man. It wasn't just like, um, yeah. You know, and, you know, well, you can make it fun for yourself. Like, you know, a simple, a simple way. How do you, you know? Because I gave a big mountain of a, of a mission. Look up the big five personality assessment. Did it. Cool. So that's, I did it. so that's a starting position. And it gave my answers. I don't think I did it right because it gave me a lot better answers than like. Do you remember? Yeah. Anytime we did it together, I'm like these don't make sense because yeah. it's. I mean, in a good way. It's okay. A lot healthier in the sense that I thought I was. But I was good. Like, well, it's a good test. It's 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 a it's a real good test. So I mean, the big five personality assessments. <laughs>
But what, what the point of that, you, how to use that as a tool is like, well, those five character traits, those are the lenses by which you look at the world. So it's like it's good to know, like if you had a high score on neuroticism, being threat sensitive, so it's good to know, well, I look at the world as very dangerous, that doesn't mean it's dangerous, and use that to calibrate how you interpret what's going on. Like, seems like I'm above the norm with freaking out about things, so like, <laughs> scale it back a couple steps. And you can kind of artificially... I think this is also this, the point of the Rambam in terms of the golden mean walking the middle path. It's the same idea. It's like figure out your mitos. That's what the big five is. And figure out, well, how can you pull yourself towards the middle so you can... Balance yourself out. Yeah, balance yourself out. Okay. Yeah. So I did the big five test. I guess I'm already on my way. Good, good. And it's, it's so cool because, like, for example, like, you know, in that test, um, I score very, very high on agreeability. Right? That's dangerous. But they're all dangerous. It's like, yeah, because it's not, it's not like there's good personalities and bad. There's a, there's a, there's a shadow. There's, a, there's, there's going to be a downside. When you're agreeable, when you're incredibly agreeable, um, well, what that probably is breeding within you is a lot of resentment for people. Because you're, you're quite agreeable, you, you go along with other people's suggestions, you never get what you want, you're always giving, and that wears on a person. So it sounds like, oh great, I'm agreeable. It's like, well, okay, but... Wait, what does that mean? Why are you saying that means you're... Because it can lead you to be a pushover. Because it leads you to be a pushover, exactly. It leads you to be a pushover, you're constantly giving, and you're resentful for it. And that's, just, that's, that's something to know. So for me, it's like, okay, like, I'm agreeable, Great. I thought you meant in the sense but, that you don't want people to talk so much, so you just agree. That could be all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love cats. Does that agree? Does that like fall into <laughs> that category, though? <laughs> to be agreeable, that just going along with the crowd uh, because it's not worth fighting it out, something like that. Because uh, I mean, I guess that shows that it might not be a, a real relationship. Sometimes. Yeah. Disagree because you don't want to argue. Yeah, yeah, that would be another dark side to that. Oh yeah. So it's like just you know. So whenever you see an extreme score in that test, it's a good indication. Let's let's schlep this one out towards the middle a little bit more because it's not good to be so agreeable. It's not good to be so neurotic. But it's a good. You know, it's not. These things aren't all. One of them was like your intellectual. Okay. Open. To get a high score on that, like why would that be? Okay, high? so that depends because I mean the depending upon what what test you're using, there can be subscores of that. So so men, for example, um, there's no difference in openness scores to men and women, but the big difference is in what what are they open to? Women are more open when it comes to relationships, whereas men are more open and interested to ideas. So that's a tough one to navigate in a relationship because guys are obsessed with ideas. And, and really fixate on, I mean, that was my first class with my, you know, obsessing about the, uh, the how to give the Pesach offering. It's like I, I, I was too obsessed with that idea, but not enough, not, not open enough to the relationship. Um, so that's where it would get hairy with other people. Um, so it'll, it'll depend. It depends who you're with. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a guy sitting in yeshiva, it's great to be obsessed with ideas. But if you're sitting at home with your wife, no, that's a horrible idea. Like, you guys are just going to irritate each other. But 
by ideas, do you mean, could you also mean stereotypes? Yeah, what do you mean? Like, because I don't fully get what you mean when you say ideas, so... Uh, like facts, data, you know, um, you know, useless trivia. Guys are into that. Mm. More so than women, generally speaking. Sports stats. Sports stats, yeah. Oh, you like sports? Every sports member ever knows the name. Oh, I, it's the Tigers. <laughs> the Bears. The oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> what, was, what was your question? You were... Um, well, my question, like, ten minutes ago, yeah. you said in order to not fall into an ideology, you have to know yourself, but isn't, like, won't you always have an ideology because you always think? It's, it's, bias. Is, yeah, for sure. But, but there again, like knowing that makes it less likely also, yeah, you will be biased. A good way of defining ology is half the story. Oh. Like in my example of conservation, save Mother Earth. That's half the story. But if we save Mother like, The other half is Mother is trying to kill you. Maybe you do have to cut down the rainforest to not starve to death. Because it's like, it's like, no, I mean, it's, 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 it's really interesting because, like, people really get, you know, you, 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 reading on this topic, like, people say some very vicious stuff about slashing and burning. It's like, okay, like, yeah, that's creating a lot of pollution, fair enough. But, like, if the people living in Brazil don't do that, their children die, and so do they. It's like, you have to be able to hold both. It's, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not just simple as, well, don't, don't slash and burn. Because you don't want people to suffer and, and starve either. So that's, that's what I mean by both sides of that story. So how are you supposed to balance that? That's just a science question. Yeah. I just have problems with that. Because, like, do you feel like the Mother Earth is fully killing us, but because we're killing Mother Earth in a sense? Or is it just... No, she's always been trying to kill us. Well, what's interesting is that the richer countries become, the more conservation-oriented they become. So it's like a good strategy is to actually try and advance countries as quickly as possible raise their GDP so they don't have to worry about dying. As soon as a country stops worrying about dying and starving, they pay more attention to conservation. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. so you... It's you gotta a, focus on yourself before you can help the planet. That's right. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one to put again. Hold on. Because you wrote something. Wait, but so mm -hmm. what's an example of an ideology? Like, well, be I think a better example might be um, political parties. Being a Democrat or Republican, those are ideologies. Do you think it's bad to be to be a part of either? No, I don't think it's bad to be a part of either. But when you're going to be a part of one, you kind of have to you have to be open that you need the other side. Like that, you're not completely right in everything. Yeah. Because I mean, because both are just both are just representing different values. Like for you know, a good example of this would be um, liberals want to tear down borders, conservatives want to create borders. That's a classic liberal conservative debate. And so, like, well, if you're more liberally inclined, and that has a lot to do with your biology, by the way. Like, people are born more liberal or born more conservative. All the all the research, like it's it's there's like three there's three different factors that make you choose a political party. Let's say one one is your bi one is your basic biology. Liberals have two very very strong moral uh, values: fairness and equality, not equity. Equality being the same, and conservatives have 
uh, five, but they're more broad. Um, so they will not val they won't value fairness as much, although they do. But they'll value other things like you know respect for authority and and, and sanctity. Um, so they're, they they're more um, diverse morally. So that's that's the biological level. You're born that way. It's predictive, based on who your parents are. But the next step up is 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 nurture, like where you live. So it could be like well, if you were born in California, you'd be a flaming liberal, but if you're born in Iowa, the culture in, in the state of Iowa is more conservative, well, you'll still be a liberal, but you'll, you'll have more... You'll have more, more, more conservative values will have snuck into your identity. The last, the last level is the story you tell yourself of who you are, and that also influences. So that's like these three factors are going to determine, well, what type of liberal are you going to be? Or maybe, you know, I had friends who, when they were changing their life narrative, when they were in high school and going into university, I mean, they switched political parties. And a part of that was, well, they still had liberal tendencies, but they just had, they were living a different story, I think is a good way of thinking about it, so that they were voting conservative. But, like, you could smell it, you know, like, they were a different type of conservative, you know, and that's... So that's that's those are ideologies, and so you know when it when it comes to you know will liberals say you should have open borders? Well, that's that can be a good idea because when you have open borders, you have you make more money. There's better trade. There's more flow of ideas. That's great. In human history, that was going on um, right before the Black Death hit Europe, because when you have open borders, guess what else comes? Disease and death. And so that's the conservative step in, and the conservative ideology is, well, yes, it's nice to know things, but you also have to protect yourself. And maybe not every idea is a good idea. And so both are right. It's just, there's no, no one side has a claim to the truth, but it's when you're able to have both sides come together, you have a bigger picture of the truth. That's, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's just being more open-minded. To, to opposite ways of looking at something. And I think that's on the path of knowing yourself, just mm -hmm. looking into more things. Yeah. 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 What else do we got? The class about the Yitzhak and the Yitzhak Tov, yeah. So we had another class on Hasidah yeah. that said that it's just confusing because I feel like there's so many different perspectives and so many different things in Judaism. Yeah, it's hard to know yeah. where to. Yeah. Like he said that we have two souls, and it's the animalistic, <coughs> the godly soul. Yeah. And the animalistic soul, he basically described it similar to what you said in a sense, but different. Like he's. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, the godly soul is what you want, like, is what makes you want to get close to God, and the animalistic soul is what makes you take care of your body, but, like, he, he, like, like, he the way make... you explained it, you said that the Yitzhara isn't necessarily bad, it's just that when we, it makes us take the things we need, but then once we start taking the things we want, that's mm -hmm. when it starts getting bad. Yeah. So... That is more animalistic, but I don't understand how, like... I made it unnecessarily complex. No, because I understood okay. yours okay, more good. than yeah. I understood his. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's because, like, 
when it's an animalistic soul that's strictly meant for physical physical things that you need to take care of yourself, why would how can it be seen in a bad way when it, that's literally all it's there for? This is a big problem in Judaism because fundamentally what Judaism is trying to do is it's the research of values and how to make value judgments. And so, yeah, you're going to have a lot of very different voices in that debate. And it's a very long debate. We're talking thousands of years. So, I mean, I mentioned the, the 13 principles of faith earlier. Like, not every rabbi agrees to those. I mean, Jewish, Jewish thinking, it, it's like you can find an opinion for everything almost. Yeah. Not because people are being flippant, not just because it's just willy-nilly, but it's, well, the striving to have a more realistic picture of reality, you're going to have contradictions in that. That's, it's the struggle of figuring this stuff out. So, I guess, like, I sympathize with the problem, you know, it's like, you hear a bunch of different stuff all over the place. It's just, how do you like prevent all of these different opinions from also turning into an ideology? Because when you hear all these yeah. different things, how do you know just what, how do you, I don't know, like it's just really confusing with all these different things. Like even with Yom Kippur and the beginning of the year, yeah. like one teacher say it was the happiest day of the year, another teacher say that it's the scariest day of the year, another teacher yeah. say all these different things. Like how do you take it all and make it into religion, but also prevent it from being an ideology when it's all these different things telling you the exact opposite and sometimes like they happen to be similar but like how do you like I have a little bit of a cheat is whatever anyone teaches you when you find that you have two contradictory views figure out what the what the middle position is it's a cheat I mean it's not going to always generate truth but I think like 90% of the time it will like take everything you're learning and try and make it all fit together somehow I know, yeah, it's, 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 it's a... I mean, yeah, I, like, I get it. Like, when you have that middle ground, it's that middle ground. It's Switzerland, in a sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, I guess. It's just that there's so many different opinions and so many different people throughout yeah. the Torah itself. Like, they just disagree with each other. So how can you take two opinions that are the exact opposite and hold by all of it? Middle ground. Yeah. I, I mean... It's a cheat, and I think it, it only helps you one-fourth of the way there yeah. in the sense that they're interesting ideas, and a part of it is trying to like play with ideas and being open to play with ideas. But like you want to then translate those ideas into like Lamaisa, practically. What do you do? Keeping Shabbos. How do you keep Shabbos? Um, it would almost kind of be like... And this is kind of what we're going to be getting into in the second half of the course. The more halachic side of things is like halacha is almost kind of like an anchor that you're well within your right to try and make a philosophical sense of halacha. And, but you have to always be anchored in it. So... I think a really good book I would suggest you guys read. It's small. It's called it's um, the Nineteen Letters from Rav Hirsch. I would read the Nineteen Letters. There's a there, he he very much is dancing on this idea of 
you have to develop a philosophy. You have to be able to play with ideas. You're going to hear contradictory things and struggle with it. But it has to be ultimately rooted in halacha. Like halacha is where you don't compromise. That's the, that's the anchor that keeps your thinking stable enough that you can come out with worthwhile beliefs. That's, I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Because otherwise it's too, it's too disorienting. So halacha is an anchor that keeps you um, from losing yourself in all these very interesting, even contradictory ways of looking at the world. So like, I might say something different than somebody else, but brass tacks, you don't wear shoes on Yom Kippur, don't eat, and keep up with the davening. Like, as long as you do that, fine. Those are the things that anchor all the fun ideas that people are going to throw at you. Okay. It's just, like, confusing at times when there's, like, several different ideas, all the complete opposite on one topic, and it's yeah. like, what am I supposed to do? And another, another, another part of it also, the, the, the Be'er Sheva, he's a commentary in the Shulchan Aruch, he talks a little bit about this, where that in the halachic process, there's a certain point where you know, you're logical, you're trying to line up all the different sugis in the Gemara, you're trying to consider all the different halakhic options, but there's a certain point where, like, you have to make a jump, and it's based on your personality. It's based on your shorish neshama. That it's just going to be, you're going to see things differently than people. And you have to do all that work leading up to that. But it's not like, oh, well, you're just completely rational, and only rational thinking derives only rational thinking helps you arrive at halacha. It's like, no, it gets you so far, but you will be different. And so that's another thing that you're confronting is, whoever you're talking about, I'm different than him. You know, it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And you're going to be different too. It's like you're going to have, you're going to gravitate towards one view as opposed to another. And that's fair enough. That's fine. Just as long as you don't eat on Yom Kippur. Okay. You don't say. Yeah. All right. Cool. cool. All right. Anything else? We're 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 almost gonna call it a day.